The following is a presentation of the Eastern Michigan Sports Network from Learfield. Straight from the 734, it's the Eastern Insider Podcast. Presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Your chance to get in on the action. Now, let's send it to the guys on the inside of it all, Greg Steiner and Alex Jewell. On the eve of one shining moment, Alex Jewell, we have a shining moment and a wonderful podcast for you today. Don't wait until 9.30 to get all your sports action in. Click right here, listen to the Eastern Insider Podcast, Greg. We're not playing in the national championship tonight, but we do have some really star-studded guests today on the show, and so it'll be exciting to talk to them. But first and foremost, it is national championship night in college basketball. Usually we save the picks until the end, but I'll put you on the spot at the start of this episode. Who are you going with tonight? Two blue bloods to pick from, different shades of blue. Are you more of a royal or a Carolina type of guy? Give me Carolina blue all day long, baby. Is I think that Hubert Davis and company, they just have that special mix all of a sudden right now feeling good. Uh, if you can come off the high of beating your rival to get to the championship game, maybe some of that momentum can continue through. I, I, I like what, what the, the folks on Tar Heel Row was doing. I, uh, I tend to agree with you, and I think the funny thing is when you look at the matchup, Greg, everybody keeps saying, but Kansas is playing so well. Kansas on paper is the better team. Kansas this, Kansas that. But Kansas like, also left the final first round well, so many that's times. That's true, and, and this is also, it's the, it's the Final Four. It's NCAA. It's March Madness. If there's any tournament that's proven to us, those numbers on paper don't matter. It's this one. So why can't North Carolina, who's playing really well, get the W tonight? Hopefully one day soon we'll be talking about Eastern Michigan's matchup in the tournament. But obviously that's not the case this year. But still, plenty of basketball still ahead on this show. There is. We will catch up with Stan Heath in this episode to get his thoughts on the season that was, how the Eagles can get better in 22-23, and as well get his picks on Tonight's game straight from a guy who's been in the ACC and knows a thing or two about both programs. He knows a thing about both programs. He also knows a thing or two about what it takes to win in the NCAA tournament. Remember, Stan Heath has led an Elite Eight team in 2002, Kent State, when they went there last. And so he knows what it takes to win in the tournament. Also, a nice story between him and Coach K that he tells. He'll allude to some of his postseason thoughts about his team, as you mentioned. Talks a little bit about the family that he's trying to build here at Eastern Michigan. So a good interview, a great way to wrap basketball season before we talk a little bit of golf. And uh, it's almost time to play golf for us, but not with the snow falling today. Yeah, the snow was falling today, but this time, a week from now, it will be approaching 70 and we'll be ready to get out to the course and we catch up with two-time Mac player of the week already this season in Ty Saloni. He has his sights set on a Mac championship. He had it in his grasp right before COVID and that's when the rains came and they shared the title with Kent State. He calls it one of the things that he looks forward to most is having an opportunity to get back and go to an NC turn because he saw the coin flip go Kent State's way, not Eastern Michigan's way, and has yet to appear in a postseason. I know he's got great advantages in that, but he's also a guy, Alex, that has the opportunity to set the all-time career scoring mark in EMU history. You and I both like to shoot 72. He can do it every time out. 
you and I uh, would like to do that in 18 holes one time, and we are yet to hit that mark. But uh, certainly a great interview to hear from Ty Saloni. So you'll hear from Stan Heath. You'll hear from Ty Saloni as well as we talk basketball and golf. But, Greg, real quick, we'll look back to the week that was as well because there was plenty of action going on around Eastern Michigan University. Baseball played a four-game set this past weekend against Western Michigan. They were able to claim the first two games in that series. They won the first night 7-4. to four. They won the first game of the Saturday doubleheader 3-2. to two. Unfortunately, dropped the last two of that contest. But Eastern Michigan, if you look at the standings as of today, tied for third in the Mid-American Conference through a couple of series. This team can hit. They can play well. And uh, for a team that was picked preseason number eight, they're really fighting to get in that MAC tournament. They are right now. They would be tied in that role with Kent State. They will have Kent State to close out the year. But if you missed that broadcast or any of our broadcasts throughout the year, you can go back to emueagles.com slash watch and catch those games on demand whenever you so choose. Would would also be tied with Miami, who they play this coming weekend. So a big four-game set down in Oxford if you're in that area, cheer on Eastern Michigan because uh, they could use it on the road. Tennis was in action as well as they uh, knocked off Ball State as well as Wayne State went on the road, lost a close one in Oxford before bouncing back with a win over the Flyers of Dayton to close out their weekend. We also saw rowing at Ford Lake, a close showing against Michigan State and then a winning strong performance against the Dukes of Duquesne on Sunday out there in Kemp Savage. Very happy with that. Well, it was a great showing, and it's always a good time when Eastern Michigan rowing gets to row here in Ypsilanti on Ford Lake, a beautiful body of water. And I know Kemp Savage, the head coach, I know all of the student-athletes really appreciate everybody that was able to make it out to Ford Lake as well. So a good crowd there, and everybody appreciates you doing that. Greg, week that was, we talked about the things that are coming up on the show today, but a lot of action getting underway here this week for Eastern Michigan Athletics as well. Yeah, you look at it, track and field will be down at the Tennessee Relays. They'll be in the heart of Knoxville to get going against the Volunteers. Women's track also will split squad uh, with men's track at the Golden Grizzly Invite up in Rochester. Tennis is in action on Friday at Northern Illinois. Baseball, as Alex mentioned, is in Oxford this weekend. Women's golf, they're just down the road in Bowling Green at the Dolores Black Falcon Invitational. Men's golf, they'll be in West Lafayette for the Boilermaker Invitational. And we also have women's rowing. They're out in Boston as they take on the BC as well as Boston University on the Charles River. Uh, So a busy, busy weekend. That doesn't also include... Sunday, tennis back in action. They host Buffalo as well as the Bulldogs of Ferris State. A lot of action going on. It's hard to follow it all. If you're just listening on the podcast, remember, you can open up your EMU app. If you haven't downloaded that, do so. Great updates, team notifications, and schedules everywhere you want to find them. You can also visit emueagles.com slash calendar and see all of the calendar together or, of course, visit each team's individual page. So, And our newest in thing this week that we rolled out is now you can listen to the Eastern Insider on the Varsity Network app. If you go on to the Varsity Network app, download it. You can listen to the Eastern Insider podcast as well as go back and listen to any broadcast from this year. That's right. Another way to listen to us every Monday. We appreciate you as always. And Greg, remember, there's also a ton of different ways to listen to this podcast. You can click on to any podcast provider that you normally use. 
But if you're like me and you start this episode when you're on the drive home and then want to continue it when you're into your house, all you have to do is hit pause and then you can say, Alexa, play the Eastern Insider podcast or any voice recognition software. You can listen to us that way as well. So enough of our propaganda. Lots of great interviews to get to. Stan Heath coming up next right on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Eastern Insider podcast. For 82 years, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan has been and continues to be committed to families all across Michigan. By providing access to care however, wherever, and whenever they need it, Blue Cross is here for it all and always will be. EMU basketball put a bow on its 21-22 season. We're joined alongside head coach Stan Heath. Year one in the books. Looking back, how would you rate your first year overall? You know, um, I, I was pleased. I mean, it, 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 was, it wasn't easy, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, we had so many things we had to battle, some adversity to go through, but we hung in there and we kept fighting. Um, you know, we started the, the job a little bit late, so, you know, putting together a roster was a big challenge, but I thought to, we put a, together a pretty good roster, you know, to get a Noah Farrakhan, to get, um, you know, Amani Scott or Mo Jai or Colin Ghost and some of those guys. So uh, we started off with a very well. Uh, and I thought, really, after the big win against FIU, the four-overtime win, I thought, man, okay, we can really turn the corner, and COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, for the next 55 days, it was tough. You know, we were playing without a key player in every single one of those games, you know, starter or, or six-man. And, um, you know, we needed all of our weapons together. But we were able to, you know, win the Michigan uh, MAC trophy. And we had some good wins here. Miami, I thought, was a good win at home. Um, and we had a lot of close games. I thought that, um, you know, we could have pulled out. But I think we got a good young team, a good roster to build around, and I think we've got a bright future ahead of us. It, it seemed like every game, win or loss, there wasn't many times where we talked after a game and you're like, we just didn't have it today. It yeah. seemed like even when you were down in some games, man, your team continued to fight. Tom and I were at that final game at Miami where early on in the game, huh. nothing was going down. It would have been easy <laughs> To, to yeah. walk out of that building losing by 25, 30 points. But you guys caught all the way back. We're down some players fought. <clears throat> I know you want more wins in the win column, and those things will come. But foundationally, is yeah. that type of team mantra and mentality something you're happy with that, that was laid this I year? I, I thought, and I thought that started off in game one. We played Indiana down by 20 at half. Next thing you know, we're down one possession. Uh, Three-point game with, I think, a minute and a half to go or something like that and, and chance to win at Indiana. Um, and I thought uh, we, we had several overtime games that we were able to win. Uh, and as you said, we went down the stretch. We had a chance to get to the MAC tournament, which we were so fighting to get in there. And I thought we were going to get in there. I thought, you know, we're up by 10 against Western and Noah Faircon sprains the ankle. And I thought that changed that whole game. We battled, stayed in there, and but just couldn't pull it off. And the same thing with the Miami game. You're playing without your, your top score and uh, you're on the road. And uh, we were able to hang in there, but just not enough. But again, the foundation of, hey, we're competing. We're bringing it every single night. Um, we're getting better throughout the year. You saw you saw different guys as time went on, got better throughout the course of the year. So I was pleased with that. And I think that's going to carry us um, as we go forward. And I'm seeing it right now in the spring. In the spring, we've done, guys have done a nice job uh, working out, improving, working on different aspects of their games, uh, understanding how we can play together uh, as a unit to become better as well. When you look at your previous stops, always that first year is kind of laying the foundation yeah. and, and knowing the building blocks from there. Thinking back to seniors that you previously had and, and their legacies, a lot of it is how they help 
bring those guys along in that first year in a, in a lot of different ways, isn't it? Absolutely. As I look at a guy like Spotsville, um, I, I was very pleased with just kind of what he did to, uh, to help the young guys, to show them, you know, how the, you know, how, how they need to compete every day. Uh, I challenged him and, and he accepted to guard the other team's best player on the perimeter night in, night out. And he did a phenomenal job. And so I think he was a, a terrific example um, for our younger guys. And I'm hoping that torch gets passed on. And I, and I think one of the things that, you know, I've, my staff and I have talked about is not just what we have right now, but one of the ingredients I think we have to look for when we go out recruiting and we try to bring in new guys is uh, the intangible ingredients, the leadership, uh, the, the, the effort part, the camaraderie, chemistry kind of guy. So along with the talent piece, we want those essentials and some of the guys that we bring in as well. You're someone who's pretty black and white to your players about the expectations that this program has and they, they want to win and win at a high level. NCAA tournament going on right now. We'll get your pick for the championship game later. But when you see a team like a St. Peter's make the run that they do, yeah. when you see Akron play UCLA, and I thought Akron probably should have won that game. I mean, mm -hmm. they played outplayed UCLA for probably 38 minutes. Are those things that you're actively putting in front of your Absolutely. players and saying, Absolutely. listen, this is where we can be, and we're not that far away. I mean, you guys played Akron tough. <clears throat> you guys have hung with some of the best teams around. Is that motivation for you guys to get there quicker? Well, I think I think there's different ways to get there quicker, and it starts with who you have on your roster right now. And, and, and the same thing, the buy-in factor of, hey, guys, look, it's it's within closer reach than you think. And, the you know, us coming together, us all being – uh, in the same circle is is the starting point, and I also see you know this league is historically you know I was part of the Kent State and you saw what Akron did, you saw what Ohio U did last year. This league historically has put teams in the NCAA tournament, and those teams have done extremely well in that stage. And so there's no reason why we can't do it. And you see a St. Pete or you know you see all these different teams that are able to turn around within a year. You know you got something like well where they come from like bam well part of it is. Guys on your program, they develop, they get better. But the other part is because of the way the landscape is now with the transfer portals and guys being immediately eligible, you can flip your program right away if you get the right kind of guys that buy into that. Looking at your off-season program right now, what's the biggest thing you're trying to have you guys work on right now fundamentally? Um, two things. One, I want us to become a much better. I thought we had ups and downs defensively, uh, and I think part of that is our guys need to play more. They need to compete against each other one-on-ones, uh, three-on-threes, five-on-fives. They need to compete where it has meaning to us. So everything that we do now has a meaning. Hey, you have winners, you have losers. You have losers, you run. You have, you know, you have something in place where there's accountability. The other thing is I really want us to prove our shooting and passing. You know, I thought our turnover margin was not good. Our three-point shooting margin or three-point shooting percentage is not good. Uh, those two things got to take a major jump in. You know, that's between player development and recruitment that we can we can really offset that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, what you and your staff have been doing to add to the roster in just a few moments. But as we continue to kind of wrap and put a bow on 21-22, one thing that you were adamant about doing this season as it wound down was getting the team back together as it was one more time. You hosted a banquet over at Eagle Crest, a chance for you and your staff I thought did a really awesome job of talking about some of the players, what they brought to the program, giving yeah. some postseason awards, and rewarding some of those players that have gone above and beyond. Why is it so important for you as a, as a head coach to do something like that, to honor those players, but to also have a lot of families come in that weren't here every game 
to experience that part. And really, one word you used at the banquet was closure to the season. Well, I think, you know, I want to create a family environment. And and I want our players, uh, their families to all feel a part of everything we're doing, even when they get done, when they conclude their their careers and they go on to the professional ranks, whether it's business, whether it's basketball, no matter what it is. Um, And I do believe that there has to be some sort of closure um, in, in a way that, hey, let's talk about the season, but let's let's uh, celebrate the good times. Let's celebrate the uh, the experience we had as a as a, as a group, as a family, as a you know for those guys a brotherhood. Because you know, I, I the one of the things that was so cool for me this this past year was so many of my former teammates and players on other teams that came back to our games, and you know that continues on beyond your last game. And I want them to make sure they understand that. And I think when the coaches got up, or if I got up, or my assistants got up. And they talked about some of the different things. It makes you think back on some of the things like, yeah, hey, maybe the record wasn't what we wanted, but man, that was a heck of a four-time overtime win. That was a really good win to start the conference year at Western Michigan or, you know, uh, you know, if we played, uh, uh, we played at Indiana, some of the things that we did. Those were some highlights. And, and even some of the things we did off the court, uh, you know, taking the team on a trip. Uh, we had that three long games at Kent State, at Ohio, uh, at Buffalo. But we stopped off and saw the Cleveland Cavaliers play, and uh, we saw PK dancing around like that. So you just you just kind of bring up some memories, some experiences that you had, and it makes those guys kind of think, man, you know, hey, that did happen, and that was a good thing. So I want them to have a feel-good feeling, no matter what the record was of their experience at Eastern Michigan. And I want the new guys or the, the returning guys to build on what we did last year, to, to grow it. And I want the banquet team to become a bigger thing where it's not just the team, not just uh, their families or my families and then the coaches' families. I want the community to all be involved so it becomes a big event at the end of the year. Speaking of big events, there are always ways to continue to grow. Lots of them involve summer camps, bringing people here to play in your building, getting yeah. used to it, bringing alums <clears throat> back. Also, trying to reinvigorate maybe a golf outing or something that hasn't been around in a few years. What do you think are some other key elements to you to try to get people used to being around your program again? Well, we do have those things in place that we're we're, we're setting up um, our team camp uh, in June, and we'll probably have an elite camp later on in August, Uh, a golf outing uh, that we're going to try to bring everybody back in late September, I think September 30th, whatever, the the, the last day before homecoming. Hopefully it doesn't, uh, the weather holds up for us. So there are, you know, kind of those things that we want to do to get more involvement. It, it takes, you know, it takes more than just a coach or a team. It takes a community, I think, to have success because, you know, we want to encourage our former guys to come back. We want to encourage um, other student athletes, other students to, to be a part of what we do. And we also want to get involved in the community. So the other things that I think we got to do is this summer is be involved with community events that go on so they see you know our faces my, myself the coaching staff the players so we're all they want to come support us we want to support them coach uh, one of the things that has changed vastly during your career in college basketball is now of course the emergence of things like NIL things like the transfer portal I won't ask you to get into specific names on either <clears throat> side of it I know that you're you and your staff are hard at work continuing to build out the roster for 2223. But one thing I did want to ask you about is there was a time when you were coaching college basketball where 100% of your efforts was focused on traditional high school recru- recruiting and getting guys that are four-year guys to come to your program. That's not a luxury you have anymore. It's it's totally changed, and it's 
beneficial because you can get somebody in here like a Noah Farrakhan who comes in and makes an immediate impact. But there's also the risk that players will leave for maybe no other reason other than they had a great season. They think they can try their luck at a different level of college basketball. Knowing all of that, how as a head coach do you even begin to navigate how much time resource-wise, how much time are we spending on high school recruits? How much time are we spending in the portal? How do you even break it down? Well, I think, as you mentioned before, in the past it was, hey, let's build your program around high school kids. And, hey, if you need a junior college kid or a transfer to sit out uh, to, to fill a hole or fill a need future-wise, then so be it. But that was the main way. I think, you know, 70%, 75% of all the teams did it. Uh, now it's different, and it's even harder for, for programs for us in the MAC. And because you see this now, it's, it's one, if you get a high school kid right away and he's a good player and he has a good season, the big boys, you know, the, the Big Tens, the whatever, you know, all the different conferences, they, they don't mind trying to pluck your guy away. They're recruiting off your roster, which is it's tough. It's a tough part of the, of, of the way things are now. So I think for us, we have to keep everything on the table, um, high school guys, um, junior college players, transfers from high majors, transfers from mid-majors, transfers from Division II levels. Um, we have to keep all those things, even overseas, you have to keep all those things on the table and you got to figure out what fits both, um, you know, what fits your program, what do you need? And I think one of the things that I was, I thought helped us was, you know, Noah Flaircon was a, a transfer after one year. So he, him coming in after already transferring one year, most likely I'm not saying it's, you know, a hundred percent, but most likely he's going to finish his career here at Eastern Michigan. Same thing with Colin Golson. So we built a roster around some guys like that. Yusef uh, is another guy. Kevin Kevin Rice is another guy. So we built that around there where we have some guys that have already been in one spot, been to another spot, and and they're more likely to kind of be in there. And I think, um, you know, one of the things you hope is, like, even if you bring in a, f a freshman, like, they have such a good experience, they don't want to leave. But there's just no guarantees. And so we always have to keep, you know, um, recruiting. Recruiting is 24-7. It never stops. It never ends. And you always got to have – you know, plan A, plan B, and sometimes plan C. Hopefully you don't get to plan C, but you got to have those plan A and plans B's ready to go. As we sit here and watch the snow fall outside, normally you'd be in New Orleans at this time at the Final Four, the, the championship game tonight. Uh, walk us through your, what you're thinking, watching, knowing that you, you're going to get two major college basketball programs that have such rich histories going at it tonight. The Blue Bloods. No, I mean, I mean you had four of those – Iconic programs uh, in the Final Four. When you looked at Duke, Villanova, now you have the championship game in North Carolina, and Kansas. And uh, yeah, normally I'm always at that event, and but I never stay for the championship day. I always <laughs> kind of get out a little bit early. It's, it's, it's not fair. It gets a little Why hectic. Why are we starting basketball games at 9:30 <laughs> uh, at night? We can't well, handle. I can't you stay have, up that you, late. You have West Coast people too now. Well, you got okay, you, you, you have to be fair to the West Coast. So, but uh, I, I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. I'm, I'm excited for. Uh, I mean, you have a, a veteran coach in Bill Self who's been there and has success. I mean, who wins their league? I don't know, it's 12, 13 years straight. That's an incredible feat in itself. And then you have a first-year head coach, and, you know, I don't think anybody's ever done it. I know Steve Fisher did it in six games when he took over for Bill Frieder, but I don't know if any first-year head coach has gone from, you know, the beginning of the year all the way to the end to win the championships. You got some great storylines. Uh, after watching both teams, uh, you know, in my heart, I'm kind of a little bit pulling for Carolina, but it doesn't really matter much, much that much of a deal. Just because I spent a little time in the ACC, I know those guys a little bit. But 
And watching the game, boy, I thought Kansas was a little bit more impressive in, in their win against Villanova. But who knows? You know, when you get to that championship game, all things are uh, are, are on the table to win. You mentioned spending time in the ACC. Of course, you were at Boston College. Mm-hmm. I mean, seeing Coach K walk off the final time, the legend that he is, I mean, that was almost a surreal moment, knowing that final time you'll ever see him stand on a basketball yeah. court like that. I have so much respect for Coach K. I mean, I don't know him as a close friend or anything like that, but I remember when I was a young coach, I was actually the Elite Eight, uh, our team at Kent State. We played in the same region in Greensville, South Carolina, as Duke. And uh, so we had played the first game. We beat Oklahoma State, and they were the next game. And I just remember him just coming out and saying, hey, Coach, you know, and I was a young coach, and I was he was still an icon back then. And, <laughs> hey, you're doing a really good job, man. I'm really impressed with your team. And that just meant a lot to me. I mean, he didn't have to do that. I mean, he's a big-time guy. Um, and then even since then, I've seen him several times, and he's always been so gracious, so humble. And I mean, that's what's so impressive about him. It's 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 not the fact that he's won so much and he's such a successful coach. It's just how he carries himself, how he's open to other people, how he reaches out to younger coaches. I'm not young anymore, but at that time I was. Uh, but uh, I've been very, very impressed. And he's done so much for the game. And um, and I think he'll continue to do a lot for the game to help kind of move it forward. You know, some of the things that we get bogged down mm-hmm. into the, you know, the, the legislations and things like that. Things that you think were obvious changes should be made that take forever to, to do. Coach, summer around the corner. I know you're hard at work here. You haven't really left the office much since the end of the season. <laughs> last time I asked you what the plan was for some vacation, you were like, no, time to work. <laughs> Is there anything you've got planned with maybe the wife, the grandkids this summer, anything you're looking forward to? Not yet. We'll, we'll plan on something later. But uh, first things first, got to get that program where we want it to be. And Coach mentioned Bill Self winning those 12, 13 straight Big 12 titles. I think people would be just fine if Eastern Michigan there decided go. to make that Absolutely. run of the mat. Coach, Congratulations on a first year here at Eastern Michigan. We're looking forward to so much more in the year ahead and then down the line. Thanks again for joining us. Sounds good. Thanks. Looking for a ride? Trinity Transportation has the vehicle for you. From luxurious motor coaches to cozy sedans, Trinity Transportation is prepared to take you to your destination. Check out their fleet of vehicles at trinitytransportation.com or call 877-284-4200 to book today. That's trinitytransportation.com or 877-284-4200. Trinity Transportation, the official transportation provider of Eastern Michigan Athletics. There's only one place in the state of Michigan that takes you straight inside the locker room, and that's the Eastern Insider Podcast. Your chance to get in on the action, bringing you more coverage than any other program in the mitten. When you look at at your career here, what's been your proudest moment at Eastern Michigan? I would probably say um, co-champs at max. Uh, it It was a tough beat. How we how we ended up not going to regionals, but just uh, just to get there in the first place and to get a ring out of it, uh, it was a tough morning that day when it, when it got canceled. But uh, overall, I'd say that that moment as a team, uh, that's when I was most proud of all my all my teammates. How much does a situation like that drive you to get back there and and change history this time? Yeah, it was. Um, I'll never forget that in the in the hotel room. It was seven. 7.30, 7.15, and coach pulled us in. He's like, we're, we're not playing. And we were all just so distraught. And that drive home was pretty silent. And I think it fueled myself and a lot of guys who are still here to 
to just keep getting better so we're not in that situation. Maybe the next year we win by one, win by 10, and don't have to deal with a with a tiebreaker loss like that. How much is it one of your goals to, to make an NCAA tournament? Yeah, I, I, think, I think we definitely have the talent. I think we've had the talent for a while, and it's our... A lot of us is our last semester, like Zach and Coog and myself, uh, the Canadian guys. I mean, this is our last semester. We came back so we could we could make an impact, and we we want to we want to make regionals badly, and maybe potentially the the national championship tournament. But when you think of kind of the the three of you that have come in together, you and Cougar and, and Zach, and being Canadian, how much of a kind of a brotherhood is it between the three of you to? that have come here and, and, and play again. It's, it's it's developed a lot for sure over the last five years. I, I knew I knew Coog and Zach for probably five, six years before that. And Zach and I were on Team Ontario together. So we already we, we would room together at uh, at training camps and we, we kinda had the um the call the mini college experience together, I guess. But um living together it's certainly strengthened our brotherhood and we all know how each other how competitive each other are and um on the course that really it really pushes you to be better because like i don't want to lose to coog but i want coog to do well i don't want to lose to zach but i want zach to do well so it kind of pushes all three of us to to keep uh keep moving forward how much did those international competitions and team ontario how much does that prepare you differently for the collegiate game it was um, the last year of Team Ontario, it was really it really helped me mentally to be away from home competing because um, I mean I finished high school I was seventeen and then coming to the states got to live on my own live on my own do school on my own and then I got to compete on my own it's like I don't have that uh, that support it's after a bad round or after a bad tournament just go home and work things out go to the range with my dad and stuff it's like all right I got to deal with this by myself so. Being at those Team Ontario camps, it was if you had a you, if you had a rough day, especially at the Canaan matches. If if you had a rough match, rough day, it was like you you had I had Zach and that too. But it's like you had your teammates to go home and sit there and build on it, figure out how you're going to be better the next day. And um, overall, it was just it was a big adjustment to to be alone. But that certainly prepared me better. How do you go about preparing for the season, getting ready, and how much does working out in the dome at, or at miles or even the simulator translate to, to the course? Well, it's it's for sure it's different hitting off mats than going to grass, especially going down to to Florida from mats to Bermuda. It's not even close to as forgiving. Um, but it's, it's more, the, I find it's more the, I guess, muscle memory and the mental aspect of things. Like we do competitions. We'll do competitions in the bubble at Fox Hills. We'll be, we'll be doing one-on-ones, team aspect stuff. And, that really kind of kind of sharpens your mind because again you, you don't want to lose in there even if it's just practice and for fun so to say you don't want to lose so it's kind of building the um the competitive spirit before it even starts you've got a chance uh right now to set the emu program record for scoring your career scoring yep how do you think about that number? Does it drive you any to to know that you've got a chance to do something really special? It uh, yeah, it um, I try not. I don't think about it when I'm on the course. I try not to think about it at all. But um, I've went over the numbers like multiple times. Um, that would be a big accomplishment for me. I, I want it badly, and I think I'm eight shots off of it total right now. And 
just thinking back of all the missed opportunities, all the three putts, out of bounds, water hazard balls. There's so many missed opportunities and that keeps fueling me for this semester to leave on a leave on a positive note and potentially take that record. As an upperclassman, how do you go about getting the next generation ready? The getting MJ to know what it's going to take to be a leader or any of those guys to, to get ready when you're not there. I think um, I can probably, I can speak for Zach Coog and myself on this one. I mean, we just try and set a good example. Like it's off the course on, on your free time. You can do what you want. I mean, you can do what you want as, as long as you're ready to go and you're prepared for practice workouts. And if you're putting in stuff on your own time. So I think it's I think it's mainly just setting setting a good example and um, kind of empowering them to believe in themselves too. I, I know when I was first second year it was tough to well second year it was different but first year it's it's tough to feel like you have it because you're coming in with all these guys who are that much older and that much better than you and it's just breaking through that barrier of okay I belong here yeah. so we're just trying to trying to push them towards that earlier. If you could rewind the clock and tell yourself as a freshman something that you now as a fifth year know, is is there something that you would tell yourself? Listen to Coach Center, the green is good. <laughs> yeah, um, like most freshmen, sophomore stuff, I was a little a little too reckless on the course, a little too immature. That, that's where it's thinking about that with the scoring hours. There's so many shots where I was just too aggressive or took a wrong number, wrong club and stuff. And it's easy to look back on, but it only it only pushes you to be better and to not make those mistakes again. If you have to hit a shot that you know you feel good about every time, what what club in your bag are you grabbing? Probably my five wood. It's a it's a Nike Sasquatch from about two thousand four two thousand five. <laughs> steel the the original steel shaft on it. That's that's kind of the the two fifty go to club off the tee. When he, it, all the MAC teams kind of see each other out throughout the course of the spring, how much does that help build kind of the rivalry when you get to the MAC tournament? Yeah, that's that's um, it's always fun seeing them. Whoever, wh- whichever MAC teams go to that tournament, I know Kent State never goes, and um, yeah, actually they they haven't won any of the years mm-hmm. that I've been here. But this year, like Toledo's here, and Toledo's a. Uh, they're going to be a tough team, tough team to beat too. They they got a they got a great ranking. They got a great team this year. Um, Ball State's Ball State's pretty solid too. So, just having that match play and physically getting to play them one on one, that's where you can go measure. It's like you go out there and you beat Toledo five one. It's like okay, why can't we beat Toledo right. at max? So, it's a good way to good way to gauge how how competitive your team is too. You know, as it's. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you make double or triple. It's how you rebound the next hole. In the same way, you can translate that to stroke play. It's you're gonna list off three birdies, or you're gonna let it affect you. So, when you, you everybody has their own unique memory of, of Coach Cunningham. When you think yeah. of, of him, uh, what what's a favorite memory of Coach that you have? Oh, wow! There's a lot. There's a lot. I would probably say. Most recent one, you you want good or bad? Um, uh, well, not but not bad, not bad, bad on my part. But um, I'd say in, in Alabama, um, I think it was the seventh hole, which was our sixteenth. 
in the final round and I, I had a decent round going and we had a, we had a decent round as a team going too and it was this tough par five little dog leg right and I, I don't know why I hit driver <laughs> I hit driver and as soon as I was off the club face I was like I, I hope coach isn't around because this was this was not the right club so goes through the fairway I'm off the pine straw trying to punch up a cart path keep it below the trees and short of the short of the water up there so he goes out there to a number and i, I laser him I, okay i gotta punch this around 80 yeah. yards and he tucks behind the trees i punch it i completely muff it off of the uh off the pine straw and it, it slowly just bounces up that cart path sits there for a second then just comes right back down behind me and i can just see his head pop out and he puts his arms up and just, right back there and there there's yeah i mean max as well i mean he he was he kept us he keeps us in it every tournament but um max especially that year we we're we we won that eastern kentucky in my second year and that was our most recent win and i mean without coach there it's we we all we know how to win we know how to compete and stuff but when it comes to something of that stake Coach kept us in it mentally. If, if he saw somebody who's kind of disheveled by some sort of shot because of the conditions too, I mean, it was it was hit and stop, and people were like, guys were losing balls that were plugging in the earth. He couldn't even find it. So he, he without coach there, especially coming down the stretch, it could have been a different story in, in a negative way. Yeah. So he, he really he really keeps us in it on the course. He's very good technically but he's also very good at knowing when to mentally be around to pick you up isn't he yeah yeah that's that was the main thing down the stretch there i mean he knows all of us have the talent we know we have the talent too but connecting your body with your mind is especially when in a situation like that like on an 18th tee shot when you got to make par to keep the mac dream alive like that's where it's completely mental and just having having him there on the tee to kind of reassure you of of your abilities that's it, it's huge it really plays a difference a couple more for you when you think back to how you got started in golf what was kind of that moment that you knew okay i'm pretty good at this uh, my dad my dad got me into it when i was really young like around around 3 or 4 and um it was probably when i first beat him honestly when i was i think i was 11 10, 10 or 11 and we were just playing at our local course and shot 86 or 86 or 87 from the same tees he was playing that's when i was like all right this would this could be pretty fun and then i love beating him I, why can't i love beating other people yeah. so he kind of pursued pursued golf and i played a lot of football and a lot of soccer at that age too a lot of competitive stuff so i kind of put that aside at the beginning of high school and just really dialed it on golf and yeah. When you see what Mac guys have been able to do up the, at the next level on the tour, I mean, Kent State's, they've won British Opens, everything else. Eastern yeah. hasn't reached that next thing. How much does that drive you guys to, to start to make more of an impact at that next professional level? Yeah, it's um, seeing those guys. I mean, uh, my first year at Mac Champs, I played against, um, it was Ian Holt and Chase Johnson on Kent State. And those guys are out there by them believe they have a couple corn fairy starts mm-hmm. you're playing on the latino tour and stuff and it just drives you to to be better i mean you look at these guys and you're playing with these guys and it's only a 
couple shots, maybe a handful of shots yeah. that are beating you by it. It's like, how can I, how can I push through and not only be like them, but be better than them. And, um, I think we have a really competitive team, like I said. So I, I know Coog's doing uh, PGA Tour Canada Q school in in a couple weeks, actually. And um, myself, I'm going to be taking the summer playing on the East Coast Tour, most likely, and then um, gearing up for Corn Ferry. And it's all of us. It's been our dream for so long to to play at that level. And it, it's a tough road to get there, but it certainly motivates you knowing guys yeah. who have who have gotten it done you're like why they didn't beat me by that much right. so you know this has been another edition of the eastern insider podcast powered by learfield and presented by blue cross blue shield of michigan tune in every monday for new episodes all year long and don't forget to visit emueagles.com slash podcasts SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcast for all of our episodes on demand.